right. You guys, I have to tell you first that I feel incredibly privileged to even be up here getting to share God's word with you. Have you guys loved this basic series that we've been in? These messages have been so powerful for me. I know I've left every single time with like a little more passion about every single topic we've heard about. But I love that it started with, the series started with Bible reading and that we're ending it with prayer because I feel like to the Christian life, those are kind of like the bookends. If you've got those two things down, all that other stuff will just fall where it should, right? Bible reading and prayer are so, so important to our lives. Will you guys pray with me real quick before I start? God, I thank you so much for your word and that you make it available to us. And Lord, I'm just going to ask you right now, send your Holy Spirit to open our hearts and our ears to hear whatever word it is you have for us through this message. In Jesus' name, amen. I think that most Christians do not understand how important prayer is, that it's absolutely necessary if we want to see change around us and if we ourselves want to be changed. And it's not complicated. Prayer is simply talking with God, our Father. It's direct communication with the Father. And it's a place we can have a conversation with God, and it should be a conversation. Because God will speak to us in those moments if we give him a chance to. But I think what's happened is a lot of us, including myself at times, we treat prayer like it's this place of just asking, asking, asking. And prayer is so much more than that. One aspect of prayer that is so, so powerful is making declarations. We can come before God and declare his goodness, declare his promises, like in that song, declaring his promises that we find in scripture. Things like, God, you love me. You never leave me. God, you are mighty and powerful and you fight for me. God, you are holy and your name is higher than the heavens. And I know that when I spend time in the presence of God like that and I'm speaking out those things, it tends to build my faith. And we need a little faith to pray, right? Because we cannot see God with our own eyes. And I know for me, there's times in my life, one being very recent, that are really, really hard, that I feel like I need more from you, God. I want more from you. And I'll even cry out to him sometimes, like, are you even there? Do you even hear me? Because there's just some times in life that it feels like his word and prayer are not enough. But the truth is, they are enough. In John 20, verse 29, Jesus was talking to Doubting Thomas. Thomas was one of the disciples. And this was after Jesus had risen from the dead. But Thomas had said that unless he were to see Jesus with his own eyes and actually feel where the nail marks were in Jesus' hands, that he wouldn't believe. He would refuse to believe. So Jesus, being Jesus, he obliged, right? But listen to what he told Thomas in this verse. He says, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The disciples had Jesus right in front of them, but we do not. We have his word, the Bible. We have his Holy Spirit. If you've trusted in Christ, you have his Holy Spirit. 
then we have prayer. And prayer is where we meet with God. And I would go as far to say that prayer is actually the key to having a meaningful, effective, and powerful Christian life. And here's one example from Scripture of why I believe that. It says in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he was finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Okay, if you were to read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will not find one instance where the disciples asked, Lord, teach us how to witness, or teach us how to perform miracles, or teach us how to teach. But here we find one of them asking, Lord, teach us to pray. And I found that so significant to the importance of prayer in our lives. The disciples saw in the life of Jesus this prayer that showed a complete dependency and closeness with the Father, unlike anything they'd seen, and they wanted to know how to have that. There was something about prayer that Jesus demonstrated that was more desirable to them than anything else they'd seen Jesus do. And they saw Jesus do some really amazing, miraculous things, but they desired to learn to pray. So I think as Christians, we can agree that prayer is an important part, possibly the most important part of our lives. So if we know that, here's the question. Why is it so hard to pray sometimes? Why do so many of us find ourselves lacking when it comes to prayer or that prayer is completely absent in our lives? So I want to read this quote, and I hope it gives you a little bit of a clue as to why that might be. It's from a book titled The Path of Prayer by an old-timey preacher man named Samuel Chadwick. And he says in his book, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, he mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. So then the follow-up question is, how does the enemy keep us from praying? Well, the Bible tells us that Satan is the father of lies. There's no truth in him. And we find Jesus saying this about him in John chapter 8, verse 44. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So, of course, he uses lies. That's who he is. He has nothing else to offer us. But the problem is that sometimes those lies are packaged and presented to us in ways that look like the truth. They're appealing. So we tend to latch on, and we don't investigate if that's a lie or not. And as I prepared for this message, I had to stop and think about my own life. You know, what, what has my experience with prayer been? Have I believed lies? So I wanted to share something about myself. I was born and raised Catholic, and I went to Catholic school for my entire schooling, so I had a knowledge of God. I had a foundation, had a lot of religious information, religion class every day, church twice a week. I had my whole head nods and my sign of the cross thing down pat. The whole Catholic thing, if you've ever been to a Catholic church, the kneel, sit, stand, sit, stand, kneel, what's next, you never know, but I had that perfected but I didn't know Jesus. 
I did not have a relationship with him. I had never made a decision to follow him or to believe on his sacrifice. And even now when I think about that, it blows my mind. How much knowledge, religious knowledge I had, but I didn't know the Savior. And it's because everything was a ritual. Prayer was a ritual. I had a ton of prayers memorized, but I didn't know I could just talk to God. I didn't know that God wanted to talk to me. I thought I had to present prayer in a very specific way, like with the rosary. If I say the rosary just right, then I know God will hear me. Or this one, if I light a candle in front of the statue of Mary and kneel and pray to her, she'll deliver my prayer to God, and I know he'll hear me then. And I have to tell you guys this with all confidence. There is no person, there is no saint, not even the mother of Jesus, that can be your go-between. 1 Timothy 2.5 tells us this. It says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He is our only go-between. But I did not know this yet. I didn't have that understanding yet. For me, for many years of my life, there was very much a disconnect from God because it was just religion and no relationship. I had a bunch of religion and no relationship. And don't you think that would be a tactic of Satan to keep me from having any power through prayer to defeat him is to give me religion and keep me from the relationship I needed? All right, I have a quick disclaimer. That's my personal experience with being Catholic, and not every Catholic has had that experience. There's some that have a personal relationship with Jesus, but I believe for many people across every denomination, it's the same thing. Prayer is not personal. It's a job, or it's something we check off our list. So religion and no relationship is one way the enemy lies to us in order to keep us from an effective prayer life. And there's a great example in Scripture of this religious stuff. Look at the Pharisees. Look at Matthew 23, what Jesus says. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. These were the guys that knew it all. Jesus even said, they are the official interpreters. These guys spent their entire lives memorizing huge portions of the Old Testament, memorizing the laws, practicing those rituals. They were highly esteemed for their knowledge, but they didn't recognize the Son of God when he was standing right in front of them. And it's because their religion blinded them to the truth. Their religion blinded them to the truth. And we may have to stop ourselves every now and then and ask, you know, do I have too much religion? Another way that I believe the enemy keeps us from an effective prayer life is this lie that prayer is something we have to feel like doing in order for it to mean anything. See, the enemy doesn't want you to figure out that it's something you have to engage in. You have to choose to pray. Because if he can get us to treat prayer casually, like it's some sort of leisure activity, you know, I'll I'll get to that when I have some extra time, if I feel like it, he knows he's safe. 
because our prayers at that point will only be reactive and they will never be proactive. And I'll expand on that real quick. How many of us are caught in that cycle of only praying when we have a need? Our communication with God is on a need-to-pray basis. It's not based on a desire for a relationship with our Father. So our prayers consist of, you know, when we're sick, when a tragedy happens, when our marriages have already crumbled to the ground, or we see our kids struggling. There's many reasons that would cause us to pray in reaction to situations. And that's good. We need to do that. Keep doing that. But if that's the only time you engage in prayer, what does Satan have to fear? And I love this definition I found for proactive. It says, acting in anticipation of future problems, needs, or changes. Acting in anticipation of future problems, needs, or changes. So when we pray proactively, we're setting into motion things not yet seen. We're helping to prepare ourselves for things to come. You know, we can pray for our kids' futures. We can even pray for their future spouses, if it's God's will. The future of our country, the future of this church. The list is endless as far as those types of prayers go. Now listen, does it mean nothing bad will ever happen if you pray that way? No. Jesus even told us disciples in John 16:33, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And I think Jesus, of all people, Jesus knew more than anyone about sorrow and trouble and trials. He knew where he was headed. He knew what his destiny was, and that was to go to a torturous, bloody, excruciatingly painful death on a cross. Yet, yet he modeled for us an active prayer life during his earthly ministry. Why did he do that? It's because he knew that prayer was his connection to the source of his strength that would carry him to the cross. And I want to say that again. Jesus knew that prayer was his connection to the source of his strength that would carry him to the cross. We also see the Apostle Paul being proactive with prayer. He not only prayed a ton himself, but he often asked for other people's prayers, and we see this in every single book that he wrote in the New Testament. He was very, very aware that prayer was the key to his endurance through these trials that he was facing and for his success at spreading the gospel. I love what Beth Moore says about the Apostle Paul. She says, not one inspired writer of the New Testament letters had more to say about prayer. Paul didn't sit smugly back, presuming that God would fulfill his purpose through him with little proactive effort on his part. He pressed in and he prayed hard. To Paul, prayer was part of the necessary means even to a divinely foreordained end. And I love that line that prayer was part of the necessary means. So an active, ongoing prayer life means that our hearts and our minds will have a chance to stay in alignment with God's heart and his will for our lives. It means that when we do have sorrow, when we do have trouble, and we will, there's no doubt about that, that we'll already be prayed up enough in order to tackle that junk when it comes. We'll have spent enough time in the presence of our Father to not easily buckle under life's pressures. 
And it means that we are relying on God to be our source of every single thing we need. And listen, the enemy hates that. He does not want you to be prepared. He does not want you to engage in the battle with the most powerful weapon given to us, which I believe is prayer. Because there is a spiritual realm, you guys. There's a spiritual realm that we cannot see with our own eyes. But as I've, as I've gotten older, and as I've gone through some pretty dark times in my life, I've actually realized that the spiritual realm is more real than the air I'm breathing right now. It's a place where continuous battles rage against our souls. A constant war is being fought for our eternities and for the eternities of every single person you ever come across. And when the Bible speaks of our enemy, it's talking about a for real enemy, one that has influence, one that has power, one that controls the things of this world, one that wants to steal your joy, to steal your faith, to steal your family, to ultimately destroy you. Satan does not stop. He will try to discourage you. He will try to distract you from anything that would lead you to prayer because he fears it. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's the spiritual realm. So does the God who created us and loves us just leave us as these helpless victims to this enemy? No, he doesn't. We actually did a series here at church on Ephesians 6, the armor of God. Some of you probably remember it. It was really, really good. <clears throat> But I love that in that same chapter, right after the list of armor that God gives us, it says this in verse 18, and pray, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Do you notice all the alls? Another clue to the importance of prayer. But through this study and this message, I actually have come to believe that the armor of God will not be useful or effective to us if we are not in communication with God through prayer because he's our source of wisdom and strength. So if we're not connecting to the source, how will we even know how to use our armor or when to use it or how or when to engage in the battle? We won't. We have to be in communication with God through prayer. <clears throat> I have to tell you guys, this topic of prayer is so, so big and vast. And the Bible talks about so many different things regarding prayer. So it was hard for me to kind of narrow down what I felt God wanted me to focus on. But as I started reading through these countless scriptures and these countless stories in the Bible about prayer, I had a little bit of a revelation. I realized something. And it's that nothing I just talked about, nothing I just said, matters. It doesn't matter at all if we do not have an understanding of who Jesus really is and who we are in him. We will never have an effective prayer life if we don't know those two things and know them well because 
It's in his name that we pray. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And if we're not spending time in God's word, getting to know the man behind the name, then you'll never be moved by his spirit to engage in prayer. You have to know the man behind the name. And the enemy wants to deceive us into believing that just to know the name of Jesus is enough. You don't really need to know his character, what his teachings were what he accomplished when he was on earth. You don't need to know all that stuff. See, because once you know that, it's going to be impossible for you to live a mediocre Christian life. Once you know the man behind the name, then when you pray in his name, it will cause the devil to tremble. Once you apply the truths and the power that are behind the name of Jesus, that's when we have victory. That's when our prayers can move mountains. Once you know the man behind the name, you will have relationship. And any religion you have will fall at the feet of Jesus. You won't treat prayer like it's casual anymore. You'll be drawn to engage in it. So the enemy's very first line of defense is to keep you from really knowing Jesus. All right, I want to spend a little bit of time now on why we pray in the name of Jesus. What is that about? So here's where I take it back to the, ba- the basics. And I'm so glad that I did because I needed this. The number one reason that we pray in the name of Jesus is access. He is our access. He is our door to the Father. Jesus said in John 14:6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Again, he's our mediator. So when we ask in the name of Jesus, it means we're asking in his merit. We come before God in Christ's standing because we and ourselves have no standing before God. There is no reason within us that God should allow us into his presence or would want to answer our prayers. Because the Bible tells us apart from the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we deserve God's wrath. We have to stand in Christ's righteousness. And I love what Paul said in Philippians 3, verse 8. He says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law, Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith, our faith in Jesus. We can't come to God in our own righteousness. And I have to tell you guys, you will experience such freedom when you really have that revelation and understand what that means. To know that it, it is not about how good you are. It doesn't matter how good or bad of a week you've had. That's not why God wants a relationship with you. It's because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross that we can come boldly before the throne of God. So thankful for that. The second reason why we pray in the name of Jesus is power. The name of Jesus has power. And we see this over and over again in Scripture. One of my favorites is uh, Luke 10, verse 17. So it's talking about 72 disciples that Jesus actually sent out. And it says, The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Wow. 
So the demons submitted when the disciples used the name of Jesus because they used it in combination with their faith. And they had faith because they had spent time with Jesus, getting to know him. So they believed in who he was. You have to believe in who he is before his name will mean anything to you. But then you have to understand and believe who you are in him to experience the power in his name. And hear me, you may be a Christian and believe that Jesus died for your sins, but I have a question. Have you ever spent any amount of time meditating on that and thinking about what that looks like and what that really means? For me, this is what I think it means. That Jesus picked every single one of us up, every single person, past, present, and future. He picked us up and he carried us to that cross with him. But we didn't have to experience the pain and the suffering that he did. And yet, once you put your trust in him, we get to share in his death and his resurrection as if it had been us on that cross. He carried us with him in order that we might have a relationship with the Father. He said, my friend Sarah, she needs to know the Father. My friend Melody, she needs to know the Father. Kip, Andrew, and Christy, Rochelle, they need to know the Father. That cross was heavy as he carried it because it held every single one of us. We were his motivation Jesus knew that a relationship with our Father was crucial. That is why he was willing to suffer and die. The Bible tells us that we are his friends. We're his brothers and his sisters. He wanted to make a way for us to have a relationship with the Father because he wants to spend eternity with us. And that relationship that he provided for us, it's nurtured and it grows through prayer. So Jesus is so much more than just a name. But the sad thing is, a lot of Christians are content with just the name, believing just enough to be saved. That's not where I want to be. I want to know Jesus more and more every single day. I want my faith to grow more and more every single day so that when I pray in his name, chains will be broken, strongholds will fall, and the enemy will not only tremble, he will run from me. The name of Jesus has power. And here's a great verse that puts this power into perspective. Ephesians 1, verse 19, starting in 19. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is us. But here's where it gets really, really good. If you jump down to Ephesians 2 verse 4, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much 
that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Okay, listen, it may take you a few times of reading through that for it to sink in. And I got to read through this a few times and it sank in, you guys. It's exciting. Do you understand what this is telling us? This is saying that at the moment you trust Jesus, at that moment, spiritually, you are seated with him at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. And not only that, but the same power that raised him from the dead is available to us at every moment of our lives. We have access to that authority and power through the name of Jesus. That is why we pray in his name. He has all authority over all things. Whew, I love that. I think that it's really interesting <clears throat> that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray after they had already been with him a while. Their desire to really pray came after they had gotten to know him. And I think that that's true for us. If we spend time getting to know Jesus through the word of God, it's going to automatically create in us a desire to pray. We'll be drawn to engage in prayer. And that's where we step on the battlefield. That's where we make a difference. All right, as I come to a close, I want to circle back to my story of being raised Catholic, just religion and no relationship. During those years, I experienced a tragedy. When I was 20 years old, my dad killed himself. And it was absolutely devastating in so, so many ways. I was working at a shoe store in our hometown when I found out. And I remember everything turned to slow motion. I could barely stand, but Somehow, I made my way back to the storage area where my store manager was, and I went through the doors, and I remember I just yelled out her name, Heather, Heather. She came running, and everything was just a chaotic nightmare from that point on for lots of years. Now, fast forward to today. Three months ago, on December 9th, around 10 p.m., I was on the phone with my sister-in-law in this picture, and I was trying to keep her calm while she waited for police to get to her house because she was terrified that her husband, my brother, may have killed himself. She was on the second floor of their condo, and thankfully, my two young nieces were on the third floor asleep in their beds, and my brother was on the first floor. And, and Cynthia, she was understandably terrified to go check. So I called the police for her and we waited on the phone together. And they arrived and they sadly discovered that in fact, my brother had taken his own life in the very same manner that my dad did almost 23 years ago. And the officer took the phone from Cynthia and he said to me, I think someone will need to come in and be with her. And I asked him, is he gone? And the officer matter-of-factly replied, yes, he is deceased. And I couldn't finish that conversation. My heart stopped, and I tossed the phone at Jared. 
and I hopped out of bed and immediately started calling my Savior's name. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Over and over. And as I got dressed and Jared was getting dressed because he's such a good man, he was out that door to head in there to be with Cynthia and those girls. But as I got dressed... I just kept saying the name of Jesus over and over and over. Jesus, 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 Jesus. I'm not sure how many times, but it was a lot. Just his name, nothing else. Because there was nothing else to say or pray in that moment. Just his name. Very different from 23 years earlier when I had found out about my dad, and the first name I called out was Heather, the store manager. And I have to tell you that this time, in the midst of all that darkness and pain and fear and shock and all that other junk that comes along with it, the name of Jesus calmed my soul, strengthened my heart, and it cleared my mind in a supernatural way that I cannot explain to you. Just his name. And it's because I have gotten to know the man behind that name. He is my God who cares for me. And Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and those who stand righteous in Jesus run to it and are safe. And I ran to it that night. Sometimes, you guys, the only prayer we have is the name of Jesus. Sometimes when things are so overwhelming and you can't even begin to organize your thoughts to muster up a prayer, the name of Jesus is sufficient. But it will only carry with it the power and the truth that it holds if you spend time getting to know the man behind the name. 